0: God, I thank you for this time. I praise you, God, that we have the opportunity through technology, Lord, to still meet together. God, to be um, in fellowship one with another, Lord. And yes, it's not the same. But God, I ask, Father, that you would use this time and use these couple weeks here that we have, Lord, in being online only, Lord, to, to grow us as a community, Father, because, Lord, there's an intentionality to community, whether we're physically together or not lord there's still that intentionality and so i'm asking father would you use this time father to grow our church lord to grow us closer together father that people would take the time to reach out to one another lord to take the time lord to make sure everyone's doing fine and everyone's okay lord and to just spend that time together lord being brothers and sisters and so, God, as we lift, uh, as we dig into this last section of chapter five, Lord, I'm asking you, Father, would you speak to us, Lord? Would you lift the text off the page Lord? would you make it into um, exactly what you want each of us to hear, Father? Lord, we ask, Lord, and, and trust, God, that you're going to speak, that you're going to move, Father, and we just ask, Lord, that we would have open ears, receptive hearts, Lord, that we would be ready. For what you have for us in Jesus' name, Amen. So this is a final series sermon in this series called Heart Surgery, and this one here is a huge one. It's um, just going to be talking about something that I would say in today's society is is absolutely necessary to hear. Uh, it's talking about this idea of loving your enemies, and I think in today's culture, specifically in America, we need to be different. We need to love everyone. But just to kind of review, we've talked about a lot of important things. We've talked about the uh, murder of the body and how Jesus said that basically if you assassinate the character of a person, you're just as bad. You've committed murder. And we've talked about adultery and how pornography and lust already have you committing adultery in your heart. We talked about marriage and divorce. We talked about oaths and being people of integrity. We talked about vengeance and that it's God's and not ours. And that in our lives, we need to go the second mile, that we need to be willing to give of ourselves above and beyond what would be expected from other people, just because that's what God's called us to. And so today we're going to take a deep dive and we're going to look into loving our enemies. And I think it's a very important subject and a very important topic. So I'm asking you to just have your ears open, be ready to hear, and, uh, and we'll dig in. Verse 43 says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Pharisees actually took this hatred idea or the concept of hating your enemy from Psalm 139. If you guys want to flip over there with me, Psalm 139, starting in verse 19, actually says this, and this is where they they kind of got this idea from. This is David in this Psalm, and he's saying this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And so if you guys just want to stick around there in Psalm 139 for a second, we're going to look at some other passages in there. But here's the idea that the Pharisees pulled from. They said, well, look, King David said that we can hate. King David said, oh, Lord, look how much I hate these people. But what they're missing is a couple things. There's a couple problems with this logic. Number one, if this is the logic that you're going to go with, that we love our neighbor and we hate our enemy, well, you're making an assumption that your enemy is God's enemy. That's the first assumption that's a problem. Because the fact is, is that the Pharisees believed that by hating their enemies that they were also engaging and helping out god in his judgment of the of the other peoples and the fact is is that they were making this assumption that that was god's enemy and therefore we need to persecute them we need to to hate them and you're also making the assumption that it's your responsibility to help god in judging mankind which isn't your job it's none of our jobs and finally guys can i say that the the fault the logic breakdown here comes in this, is that you don't really understand God's agape love for you if you think that hatred is adding anything to God's plan. Because the fact is, is only God is capable of perfect love and perfect justice. We saw this on uh, Wednesday night and uh, a couple other places. We've been looking through Joshua and now judges, and we're seeing these times where God's saying, like, I want you to go and I want you to wipe out this whole people group or Sodom and Gomorrah is a fine example where he goes in and he's like, this whole city is going to go away because I'm judging them. And God has a right to do that because God knows the heart. He sees the heart clearly. And so it's literally his prerogative. It's his right and only his right to, to, to bring justice upon anyone. And the fact is God actually said this in Deuteronomy 32, 35, and it's Quoted throughout the new Testament as well, but it says vengeance is mine God's saying that I'm the one that takes vengeance I'm the one that takes care of these things, not you And so we see here clearly the pharisees didn't get it right. And so jesus is here correcting this But the fact is is that we're not called to seek revenge or hate anybody you guys There's this cheesy christianese saying of love the sinner hate the sin, but it's kind of true We look and we say man yes Sin is something that's worth hating in our own lives, first and foremost. And when we see it elsewhere, when we see, um, you know, just people being beat down or I know when I was in Turkey, um, they really don't like the Kurds in Turkey. And so I saw children being slapped around by Turkish men that, because they were Kurdish kids. And unfortunately, we're not really allowed to engage in that. Um, to really stop it or anything like that, which really was hard because you sit here and you see this inhumane treatment. And the fact is, is I hated that. I hated seeing that happen to that child. And I didn't think it was right, but I didn't look at the sinner, I didn't look at the person and say, I hate that person because they're a sinner just like me. Matter of fact, if we want to look above and below this section we just read in Psalm 139, we actually get a clearer picture of what David was getting at, the context that he was getting at. So let's look at Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. It says this, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God? How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And now jump down to verse 23. It says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what's the one key difference between the way David was looking at things between God's view of David and all the other people that David said he hated. The difference wasn't the wickedness. It wasn't that at all. As a matter of fact, we just saw that even David was like, show me if there's a wicked way in me with the assumption that there is. And so it's not the wickedness that is the difference Let's flip over to Jeremiah 17.9. It actually says this about our own heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So obviously it's not the wickedness. Obviously, when we look at other people around us, we can't look and say like, They're more wicked than I am because we just read in Jeremiah. All of our hearts are wicked. We're all wicked people. There's not anything in us that's of value to God to that level. That's going to bring salvation for us. And so what's the difference? The difference was that David recognized that he needed God. And these other people didn't recognize that they blasphemed God instead. And for each of us guys, we need to remember that before we knew Christ, we were just as lost. There's not anything in us that brought us to salvation. It's only Jesus that did that. So, what's our response supposed to be? Flip back over to Matthew. What's our response? Verse 44 Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies, we're supposed to bless those who curse us, we're supposed to do good to those who hate us, we're supposed to pray. For those that spitely, spitefully use us and persecute us. And guys, just to give you an idea, this, this love here that God's speaking of when he says, you know, love your enemies, that's agape love. That's not phileo love, right? Phileo, where we get the word for Philadelphia, brotherly love, this idea that like, oh yeah, you're my brother and I'm your brother and we're good, or storge love, right? Which is familial love, like your grandparents, you love your grandma or grandpa, Right? or eros love even, erotic love. None of those are the words that are used here. The Greeks were very specific when they had love. They have four words for love. And so what we see here is this agape, perfect love. Flip over to 1 Corinthians. We're flipping around a lot today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What does agape love look like? What's it supposed to look like? Well, Paul tells us. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. What does that look like today? What does it look like today to walk in agape love towards our enemies? How does it apply to us, specifically here in America, where we have so many people and so many groups that we disagree with vehemently, right? Politically, we disagree. Morally, sometimes we disagree. Abortion comes to mind. Religiously, we disagree. We have definitely a lot of religious groups that we would vehemently disagree with. What does that look like for us? Well, one big question I have for us guys is this How much time do we spend praying for our enemies and seeking to, the love, and to love them compared to talking? about the flaws in their position or compared to talking about just how despicable they are, right? That they would do these things, you know, all these different things that we look at, that we hear, that the news tells us, all of this stuff. It doesn't take much looking around on social media or in the news to see that we are divided, that people don't get along anymore. And the truth is, is that the church should be showing something different. That's what Jesus is telling us here. The church should be different. And so what does it look like? It's not a question I can answer for you. You've got to pray about that and figure that out. But keep in mind chapter 13 of First Corinthians. Because the truth is, those are the things that should be true in your relationships with others. Whether that be your friend or your enemy. And I think that's a hard thing to get our head around sometimes. Because the fact is, is that when we're doing these things, when we're looking at these things, when we're trying to walk out what God has for us, it is a different look than what the world is doing. It's a completely different look. What's the next thing he says? He says, we're supposed to bless those who curse us. This bless word in Greek is eulegio, And it's actually where we get the word eulogize. Which is what we do when someone dies, right? Like it doesn't matter what kind of person they are when they die. Somehow magically in their eulogy, it's usually all good. So what's it mean to bless? We're supposed to speak well of them right now. We're supposed to ask God for their good. And guys, can I tell you something? If they're an unbeliever, then good is automatically assuming and asking God, Lord, would you save them? They need you. We're called to do do this even when they're cursing and defaming us. It's not easy. We're called to do good to them even when they hate us. We're called to pray for them even when they spitefully use us. This doesn't mean roll over and be a doormat, but can I tell you what it does mean? It does mean that we don't get to retaliate and and react and be just like them. That's what it means. We don't get to do that. We are free. We talked about last week from reacting to the world. We don't have to react like them. We don't have to see what they've done and take in that hurt and say, I'm going to give you back tenfold. We don't have to do any of that. We get to walk in the freedom that Jesus brought because Jesus didn't react to us because the truth is his reaction to us should have been to squash this earth like Plato and start over, but he didn't because he loves us. And so we get to love others. You guys, Jesus showed us what that love looked like on the cross. He wasn't reacting to our actions. As a matter of fact, he actually was loving us in spite of our actions. He went to the cross to pay for all of our sins. Flip over with me to First John chapter 4. First John chapter four, verse 17 says this. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. I'm going to say that again, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You guys, we have the freedom to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the freedom to love those who don't love us. We have the freedom to pray for those who hate us. We have the freedom to bless those who would in no way, shape, or form ever have a good word to say about us. We have that freedom. And guys, what that does, and the whole point of all of that is because we want to be like Christ who did the exact same thing. He blessed those who cursed him and he walked in this freedom to love regardless of what they did to him or said. We get that, and we get to shine Christ brightly to a very dark, Christ-rejecting world. And that is that is different. That is being a city on the hill. That is being salt. That's being tasty in this earth. Love. It's, it's something that we talk about and the world kind of throws around and they don't even know what it means. But we do. We as Christians do know what love means. And so why are we not walking in it? Verse 45. Why are we called to do all this? That's the question. Verse 45 tells us that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why are we called to do all this? Because we walk in the power of the spirit And because we're called to love our enemies. And so we are meant to be different. We're meant to be sons and daughters of our father in heaven. That's what we're meant to be. We're not meant to be just like the world. We are different from the world because we have God dwelling in us. These are common sense things for Christians, aren't they? But how often do we need to be reminded and hear it again and again that guys, we will be known by our love. They'll know you're a Christian by your love. How many churches do we know where people walk in and they don't feel very loved? May that never be true of Great Bay Calvary. May it never be true of Great Bay Calvary that we lose sight of the fact that we are sinners saved by grace so that when another sinner walks in, we look at them in love and we say, come along with us. Come along for the ride because it's this amazing ride that we get to walk, be a part of. It's not easy. It's not, you know, just all hunky dory and and rainbow and sunshine, but what it is, is amazing. And what we have to wait for us in eternity is heaven. And that makes everything worth it. And so let's never lose sight of that. We need to understand and grow in this understanding of agape love for one another, even our enemies. So true love means loving your enemy enough to pray for their salvation. It means telling everyone you know that there's one way to heaven and only one. And it's only through Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. Saying that there's other ways to heaven is not a loving thing to do because it's a lie. And I'm going to say one other thing. It's recognizing guys as Americans that we live in a great nation but remembering that we are temporary citizens here in America and we are permanent citizens in heaven. And so I think a lot of the divide and a lot of our enemies, quote unquote, are political right now. People are divided. We're 50-50. And so regardless of which side of the aisle you're on or which how you voted, I don't care. The point is, is that everybody in America right now is divided on these issues. What does that matter for a Christian in light of Jesus. It's not as important. It shouldn't be as important. I want, guys, for us as a church to be known that we love Jesus and that we want to tell others about him. Not where we stand politically. I want us as a church to be known for what we're about and what we're for, which is Jesus, not what we're against. Guys, we love people enough to use every God honoring means to bring them to the foot of the foot of the cross. And even if that means that we're hated or persecuted or defamed in the process, doesn't matter. Because the question I have for us as a church is this. Do we love people that much or do we love ourselves? And God help us. I, I pray I, I, I can't answer that for you. I ask God, Lord, do I love myself more than I love other people? Am I willing to be defamed or put down or persecuted or, or made fun of or whatever might come my way to spread the good news of what you've done? I pray that's true. My prayer for us as a church is that God would help us to be a people that love others and love God more than we love ourselves. That God would give us a hunger To see his kingdom made famous, regardless of what it costs us. You guys, I don't want to be raptured or die and have the thing that I'm known for to be anything other than that I loved people enough to tell them about Jesus. I don't want to be known for my my fierce debating skills with political issues. I don't care. I don't want to be known for how much I couldn't stand a certain group of people because of what they thought or what they believed. I don't want to be known for those things. I want to be known as a person that adored Jesus and wanted everyone to know Jesus. That's what I want to be known for. That's what I want us to be known for. All these other issues are not important. If you're out there and you are wrapped up in politics and you're wrapped up in all the stuff that's going on in America, can I ask you a question? If you die tomorrow and you're in your casket, is that really what you want people to worry about? I don't think you do. And yet we find ourselves getting wrapped up in all these things. And Jesus here is saying, love your enemy. Don't hate him. Don't get wrapped up in the affairs of this world because all that does is bring division and hatred. Love instead. Love. Because the fact is, guys, if we live a life of love, if we live a life telling others about Jesus and we do our very best to to love people, our lives will be well lived. And we will have accomplished and served our purpose here on earth. That's what we're here for. That's what disciples are here for. So Jesus is telling us that there's this one key difference between his disciples and the world, because he says, look, the rain falls for everybody, the the good and the bad, the sun shines on everybody, the just and the unjust. He's saying, look, I love creation enough and all that's in it that I'm going to do and take care of everybody. There's not something that's going to be worrisome for them right? Like that's what he's getting at. And so what's the key difference? The key difference is this, that he poured out love on the cross and that we as Christians should love each other and love others enough to tell them and let them know. That's it. That's the key difference between us as a disciple and the rest of the world is that we have the good news. We have the gospel to give to others. Verse 46 For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus goes further in his explanation of the differences between what we should be doing and showing his love. He says, if we love or greet only those that we like, basically, only those that are like us, then we're no different than the rest of the world. So if you come in here to church and you're like, hi brother, hi sister, I love you guys. Oh, you're the greatest. And that's the only interaction you have with anybody. Well, you're no different than anybody else in the world. That's what he's saying. He's like, look, the idea is, is that we will be uncomfortable and we will jump out of our comfort zone to go and to love others. That we're not going to just stick in our little click that we're not going to say our church is big enough and we are good enough and we don't want anybody else. That should never be true of us. What we should be doing is saying, Lord, give me the opportunity to go and to speak to others about you. Lord, give me an opportunity. Put something in front of me. Put someone in front of me that I could chat with them about you. He says tax collectors loved and greeted one another. What's different about that? The fact is when he says that you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. This word perfect in the Greek can also mean complete. And that's really what it's getting here. Getting at he's saying your love is complete. Like God's is when you recognize that God loves every human being and he loved them so much, all of humanity that he sent his son to die on a cross. Like when we get our heads around that guys, there's not one person that's off limits. There's not one person that is beyond God. And that should mean in our hearts and in in this church that there's not one person that's not worth talking to, that's not worth loving well. We're called to love others like 1 Corinthians 13. So that means, guys, that we're going to suffer long in our love for others because we know that this life is short. We're going to suffer long. We're going to deal with their ridicule. We're going to deal with their stuff. Why? Because we love them. And we know that this life is a blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. We're going to be kind. We're not going to envy the people in this world because they should be envying us. We've got the answer. But we're not going to parade around and act better than everyone just because we know Jesus. As a matter of fact, guys, we're supposed to be doing the opposite and walking in meekness and humility. We're not going to act rudely. We don't seek our own selfish ways. We don't think or wish harm on them. We rejoice in the truth that God loves them and wants them to come to him. And because of that, guys, we trust God. We trust God that as we do our best to bear all slight and persecution for our faith, that, we, that when we do our best, to hope and endure all things that they speak and do against God, that as we do our best to kind of do those things, to bear all things and to, to just hope and endure all things. When we do those things, we do it because we know and trust the God that already has that well in hand. That's never going to fail. God is love. God's love will never fail. So we trust and, and know that God's love in us will never fail. God's love for them will never fail. And so do you understand how easy that makes it then to say, God, if, if your love's never failing for me and your love is never failing for them, then give me the strength and help me to walk that out with them because sometimes people are hard to love. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.